Man, you may be seated. If you'll join me now in taking your copy of God's Word and you turn back to the book of Revelation, so the last book of the Bible, chapter 2, Revelation 2, verses 18 through 28. So this morning, we are coming back to our study on the church. We started this back in the fall by looking at some aspects about what is the church, and then about the middle part of the fall, we began looking at seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so when we broke for Advent, we had looked through the first three churches. And so as we come back to that study this morning, I want to give just a brief summary, a brief review of the three churches before we get to the fourth church this morning. And the first church was the, the church of Ephesus. And so to keep it within our kind of our context, we'll refer to it as the first ARP church of Ephesus. As we saw, they were a church who was doing a lot of right things. If you were outside looking in, it looked like a good, healthy church. They had a lot of good ministries going on, a lot of good things happening. It's a church you would want to at least visit, not become a member of. But Jesus says in his letter to the church, they have a problem. If you remember what it was, it was a big problem. It was that they had stopped loving Jesus. They looked like they were doing all the right things. But their purpose and reason for doing the right things had become faulty. No longer was their focus on on Jesus and the glory of Jesus. Their focus had become on their glory. And specifically the glory of always being right. That they were always theologically precise. They were always doctrinally correct. They can win any sort of theological or Bible argument with you. But the problem is, they love the theology... And being right more than the one who their theology was supposed to be about, Jesus Christ. So Jesus calls them to repent of this, to return to him, and to do so through the means of grace. For them to come to him through his word, through prayer, through sacrament and fellowship. Because these are the means that enable the church to live in love and the glory of the Lord and Savior. And then we looked at the first ARP church of Smyrna. And they're kind of the opposite of, of, of Ephesus. They had never stopped loving Jesus. They were uh, devoted to Jesus in the means of grace. And so Jesus tells them to, to keep on trucking. Keep on doing what they're doing, because uh, they're doing a good job. But he's telling them they were under hardships, but more were coming. And the only way they could continue and endure in those hardships was through their love of Jesus and being a church that was committed to the reading and preaching and teaching of the word, of faithful prayer, of taking the sacraments, and of faithful fellowship. And then we left off with the, the Pergamum ARP church. If you remember, they were a church that was in the midst of a culture and a place so depraved, so bad, so sinful, that Jesus refers to it as the throne of Satan. But here is their church, and they were faithful, faithful even unto death. But even within that church, there were some who were given to false religion and, and bad doctrine. And so Jesus calls them to repentance. And this serves as a reminder to us that we need to make sure that we're faithful to Christ, especially excuse me, especially what we believe about him. Orthodoxy to orthopraxy, good biblical teaching that leads to faithful biblical living. And so that brings us this morning now to the fourth church and the fourth letter to church, and that's the church in Thyatira. So we'll find that in Revelation 2, and let me pray for us as we come now together before, before God's word. Lord, our prayer is simple this morning. Open our hearts and open our minds 
that we may both hear your word and believe it, that we may receive and rest upon Christ as he is offered to us here in your holy word. Do this, we pray, in the name of the one who is the incarnate God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. But behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the, children, and all the churches will know that I am he. I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule over them with a rod of iron, as when uh, earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. He may be seated. It's encouraging to be your pastor. And one of the encouragements I have of pastoring this church is knowing so many of y'all care and you care deeply about this church. And I hear your care for this church and the way you pray for this church. And your conversation about the church and your involvement with the church. So as your, as your pastor, it's encouraging to see that you love this church, you love Bethel ARP, and you care for it. But along with that, it's encouraging to see so many of you care and care deeply about where you live. And just like with the church, I, I hear it in the way you pray. I hear it uh, in your conversations. I, I see it in your involvement in, your, in the community. And, and that too is encouraging as your pastor because where we live matters. This is the context in which God has planted us. God put Bethel ARP Church here almost now 200 years ago. And he put us here now at Bethel. So in his sovereign providence, Bethel and us are part of his plan for the kingdom. So think of it that way. That Bethel ARP is not only a church that's, that's located in Winsburg. It's not only a church that's here in Fairfield County. It's meant, we're meant to be a church that's for Winsboro. We're meant to be a church that's for Fairfield County because this is where we are. This is where God has planted us. This is where we're meant to have ministry for the glory of God. And so it, it's not only good that we pray uh, for our community, but, but it's vital that we pray. It's important that we get involved when and where we can because it's part of our call as Christians 
and God's planting us here. And this will, I, I believe, I believe this will go a long way to addressing some of the issues that we find in our community. And many of us have had these conversations, are sharing our concern about what's going on in Winsboro, what's going on in Fairfield County, and, and the frustration of, of what we could probably say is just the acceptance of mediocrity in, in our community. That what seems to be the accepted way around here is that the best you can expect is the bare minimum. And, and, and if you get the bare minimum, you, you get very excited about it. But it doesn't seem that there, there's not... The prevalent mindset is, isn't a striving for excellence. The, 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 the biblical, it's not the biblical mindset that we find in places such as Colossians 3, where it says, whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. Knowing from that the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And that doesn't seem to be the prevalent mindset, does it? Rather, it seems that we find that, that in our community there, there are some things that may be well cared for and, and sought to be done well, but there's a lot of other things that, that just aren't cared for or just fall to the side. It, it's, the, it's the idea that 50% equals 100%. The bare minimum, the bare minimum is, is accepted and it's applauded. And we see how much that can affect a place. We've, we've, we've expressed our, our frustration about it, how the mediocrity can affect the, 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 the town and the community we, we live in and, and that, that is around us. Now, I, I say all that to, to introduce this idea. Our passage this morning gives us an example of a bad situation. Thyatira isn't a very good place to live in, but within it, is a mediocre church and a mediocre Christian. You look at Thyatira through a Christian's eyes, and as we'll talk about here in a few moments, it's not the best place to live as a Christian. And the church there has turned into a mediocre church with mediocre Christians. Because the church there, as we'll see, does some things well, but they also fall in other areas like they aren't even trying. And it makes you wonder what the equation is. Is Thyatira not that great of a place to live because of mediocre church and because of mediocre Christians? Or has Thyatira, the city, influenced the place so much where it's become mediocre with mediocre people? And I think the answer to that is yes. Yes on both parts. And so we want to look at this passage to see, to see it as a warning to us as a church and to us as a people. Is Bethel ARP a mediocre church? Are we a church that we do some things well, but we don't even try on other things? Are, are we a church that just gets into a comfortable rut and we have no desire to move, no desire to change, no, no desire to do something different in order to be more faithful in, in ministry? Conversations past week, somebody said this to me and, and it, it, it stuck with me. It said, the traditions of a church can either be a home or a prison. 
The way your church does things can either lead to it be a welcoming place or a prison where you cannot do anything. Uh, we are a mediocre church where we're bound more by a prison than we are a home. And are we mediocre Christians? Are we a Christian? Are you a Christian? Am I a Christian that we do some things well, but we're not even going to try to do other things? We're comfortable being mediocre. We, we, we'll give the bare minimum to God. We'll, we'll do what we can to keep a good church face and, and, to, and to have a good reputation in town. We'll do the bare minimum, but we will dare not give 100% of ourselves to Christ. And we have no great desire to really grow in faith and love and grace. We just don't really want to go to hell. So I think the question for us to think through, and this is, I'm not saying this in a passive-aggressive way, I'm not saying this really for us to think through. Are we, a, are we a mediocre church, are we mediocre Christians that are aiding and abetting the mediocrity of our community? And I think it's something we need, we need to think through. So we'll, we'll look at it here through the context of Thyatira, uh, it was 40 miles southeast of Pergamum. We find that these seven churches are all in the same general area. Historical and archaeological evidence points that uh, Thyatira, was, at this time of the writing, was still involved in the worship of Apollo. If you remember your, your Greek mythology, he was the son of Zeus, and uh, the Greek god of the sun, and, and the god of light, the god of music, and the god of, of prophecy. And so Thyatira would celebrate Zeus and, and other patron deities and, and periodic festivals and, and, and praise. And so Christians at that time would have been tempted uh, towards the message of what we're told here this prophet Jezebel, who advocated participation in uh, illicit intimacy and, and food sacrifice to idols, both, both those staples of the social scene. So for the Christians at that time, there would have been the entire day would have been, you know, festivals and parades and, and carnivals celebrating these different gods and, and their neighbors would have invited them to go and they would have felt pressure to go, right? Everybody was there, all their friends were there, they don't want to seem weird not being there, so they would go and, and what was happening? Well, these bad things were happening, these, like I say, illicit immoral intimacy and, and other things going on and, and they, would have felt, they would have faced peer pressure to participate in it because they, they didn't want to be weird. And so we find that the church of Thyatira is yet another church that's surrounded by a pagan culture uh, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't for their faith, but really was against their faith. And this is the way the world works. Jesus tells us, the world first hated me and it will hate you. And we find over and over again, the world will not tolerate faithful biblical Christianity. It will, faith, it will tolerate mediocre Christianity. But it will not tolerate biblical Christianity. It will always work against it, as we see in our passage this morning. Now, you may remember that this isn't the first time that we've heard of, of Thyatira. We go back to Acts 16, and Paul's out preaching. There's a woman named Lydia. And this is her hometown, this is Thyatira. And she hears Paul preaching. The Lord opens her heart to the gospel message, and, and she's saved. And so she, along with her household, was baptized. So it may very well be that Lydia went back to Thyatira after she went to help with the church plant Philippi. She went back to Thyatira, shared the good news of Jesus Christ with others, and helped establish the church there. So it seems like the church has a good background, a good heritage. And by the time of this letter, in some ways, the church was flourishing. Look what it says in verse 19. Jesus says, I know your works, your love and faith and 
service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So Jesus commends them and says, you're doing well. You, you, you have these four essential qualities that he singles out. Their, their love and their faith, their service, their endurance. And if you think about it, those are those are some of the highest commendations you can give a church. Will we, will we love to hear that in, in, in Winsboro, Bethel is known for, for our love, for our, our faithfulness, for our service, for our endurance? Would we love to hear that that's what we're known for as individuals? Hey, do you know so-and-so goes to Bethel? Man, that church and that person, man, they, man they're just they're so loving and they're faithful and they're, they're always willing to help out. And, and even when people are, are horrible to them, they, they're, they're not horrible back. Those are wonderful things to be said about your church. Wonderful things to be, to be said about the people. Now, for three of these uh, qualities are talked about by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 as being the essence of spiritual maturity. How do you know somebody's spiritually mature? Well, faith and love and service, service and endurance. So they, serve as, they serve as good bitch marks and goals for our church and for our, our walk with Christ. That we, to the best of our human ability, make sure that Bethel is known for, for being loving, for being faithful, for service to others, for, for endurance. And to the best of our human ability, we do the same with our walk with Christ. It's a walk that's marked by love and faith and service and endurance. This is what Jesus commends them for. He also commends them that they're growing in these qualities. These aren't qualities you just, you know, you kind of pick up and you've perfected them on day one or or day ten. You're always growing in them. It's it's another reminder to us that the Christian faith is a growing faith. It's never stagnant. The Christian faith is never meant to get into a comfortable rut. We, we, we never get to the point where, where we get it, where, where, where we perfected the Christian faith. We're, we're always growing. We're meant to always be growing in the qualities of being like Jesus. And that's what Jesus commends the Thyatarian Christians for, and it's what should, we should want Jesus to commend us for as well. And he's entrusted a faith to us that's meant to grow, and that we grow in love and faith and service and endurance. It's something good for us to pursue. But we see that the good news for this church doesn't last long. It lasts one verse. We get to verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now what Jesus is talking about here, he's referencing Jezebel from 1 Kings 16. Jezebel is married to King Ahab and and, and she enticed him to compromise Israel, the, the religion, the faith, the worship of Israel, by encouraging the worship of Baal. And Baal was a fertility god who was believed to enable the earth to produce crops and people to produce children. There was a lot of sexuality involved with that sort of religion, that, that, that worship, that faith. And so First Kings 16 tells us she's responsible for, for the spiritual, but also the this physical adultery of the Old Testament church. She was behind the Israelites, leaving God for this other false god. So being called a Jezebel isn't a compliment. That's why none of us name our daughter Jezebel. You know, we don't go, you know, be a beautiful name, Sarah Jezebel Smith, right? We, you know, it's not a compliment. But she's not reincarnated here. 
really what Jesus has in mind with the church in Thyatira. It's not so much a single person. It's an attitude of a group of people in the church. And this attitude is what we would say is an attitude of mediocrity. This group was fine with there being love and some faith and service and endurance. That, that helped them have a good church face. But they also wanted to compromise with the world. They were okay giving the bare minimum to Jesus. And they could, get, they could go along with, okay, we, we can do love, we can do faith, we can do service, we can do uh, endurance. We can do all that. We'll give the bare minimum, but we want to compromise with the world. We, they want to compromise the world around them. Why? So they wouldn't seem weird. So they wouldn't be out of touch. So they could go to these festivals and they could participate in these things that God says isn't good, but because of their mediocrity, they've made themselves feel better about it. I've given God my bare minimum. Now let me go enjoy myself. They didn't want to be weird. They didn't want to be out of touch. They wanted to be more of the world than in the world. So they're no longer concerned about being obedient to all of God's word. Now they want to take God's word and they want to put it against the world and they want to say, which one wins out? Which one makes me seem less weird? So it's okay for them to be loving and faithful to their church and helping others and enduring. But they want to compromise the world around them because they don't want to seem like, they don't want to seem to be like a bunch of weird holy rollers who nobody wants to be friends with. Because let's be honest, there's nothing worse than being a holy roller, is there? There's nothing worse than, than marching to the beat of Jesus against the beat of the world. There's nothing worse than being different for the sake of Jesus. So here's my church Christian mass for Sundays. And here's my church Christian mass when it helps me. But here's my everyday mask to help me be accepted by the world. Let me give my bare minimum to Jesus so I can give more to the world. And that was their mediocrity. And that's what Jesus is exposing. He's saying this isn't okay. This isn't okay. And we don't have to look long, and we don't have to look far to see how that attitude is still at work today, and maybe it's even at work with some of us. Because if we're, off, if we're honest, mediocre Christianity is comfortable. Because we get to keep our feet in the best of both worlds. We get to come to church on Sundays, and we, we, look to, we get to look like good Christians, and we get to do those sort of things. We also get to keep our feet in the world and, and, and not sacrifice for Jesus, not have to, not have to live for Jesus. Mediocre, mediocre Christianity is comfortable. And that was the attitude of this group in the church. And look what it led to. Some veil worship involved this illicit, intimate, immoral acts. We don't want to go far down. We don't want to get graphic. We don't want to get crude. But imagine... In your church is a known group of people who go to these parades, who go to these festivals, who go to these parties, and, and they're involved in these things, and they know about it. They do those things. They, they eat foods and sacrifice to idols. Paul 
talks in 1 Corinthians 8.10 about not eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. But because of their mediocre Christianity, they, they go to these festivals and they, and they go to these parades and they, there's the food trucks there and they go up and I'll go, okay, I'll, I'll take this rib on a stick that's been you know, uh, sacrificed to, to, to Zeus or, or Apollo. And it's okay for me to eat this. Even though the Bible says otherwise, it's okay for me to eat this. Because I say so. And we see that really this is all stemming from peer pressure for them to fit in with the world around them. So they hold on to aspects of their faith, love, faith, service, and endurance, but they want to compromise on the rest of it. They, it wasn't 100% faith. It's a faith that was willing to compromise with the world. And what Jesus says here is, is that's not a Christian faith. A mediocre faith is, is one that Jesus will not tolerate. You're either all for him or you're not. He says either you're for me or you're against me. But another thing, the dangerous thing about those who, who walk this way is they claim to know deep things. They have the knowledge that would extend outside and deeper than scripture that God has revealed to them. And it was a knowledge that was known only to those in that select group, that a select few to the elite. They, they, they were holier, they were more enlightened than others. And the letter to the Colossians deals with some of the errors of this thinking. That there's no knowledge greater than that of Christ revealed by God in, in Scripture. So that's why when we look at verse 24, look what Jesus says. But to rest of you thy entire who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... To you, I say, do not lay, I do not lay on you any other burden. How does Jesus refer, refer to special knowledge? It, it comes from Satan. That's very pointed, very simple, very direct. To, to claim a knowledge that extends outside and deeper, deeper than Scripture, that, that goes beyond what God's revealed to us, that's from Satan. What, is, what, does, Satan, what does Satan do in the garden? Did God really say? Can you really trust what he said to you? Or did he mean something deeper, better, and greater? It goes against what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God, so therefore all of it is profitable. And this is, no, not all of it. There's actually something out there that's better. So it's something we need to, to guard against. That what God says is enough because it's from God and it's enough. Now all this should really bring us to beg the question, how did a church that was being commended, that was growing in love and faith and service and endurance, how did it begin to allow this sort of thing to happen and take place? The key words in verse 20 is the word tolerate. They began to tolerate this attitude and teaching. And we we hear the word tolerate a lot nowadays and and tolerance and that sort of thing. What's it mean? It's always good to go back to the dictionary and remind ourselves what these words actually mean. Tolerate means to allow the existence, occurrence, or practice of something that one does not necessarily like or agree with without interference. To accept or endure someone or something unpleasant or disliked with forbearance. So the picture we have here is a church of Thyatira. And most of them are faithful to Jesus, but there's this little group in there who are doing these wrong things. They're, 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 they're involved in this worship. They're involved in these activities. And it's wrong. The rest of them weren't going along with it. They, they weren't engaged in it. But they weren't dealing with it either. 
They weren't embracing it. They were just growing apathetic to his existence. They were unwilling to do the hard and dirty work of, of rooting it out of their midst. They wanted to be nice. They didn't want to rock the boat. They didn't want to upset anyone. And if we, if we talked to them about it, they would say, well, we just want everybody to get along. If they just keep it to themselves, it's okay. We're not, we're not going to let them teach Sunday school. And if we do, we're not going to let them teach that. We're not going to let them keep the youth. Maybe we'll send them as chaperones, but they're not going to be able to teach. But if we try to deal with it, what will people think of us? Will we make somebody upset? Will it make them unhappy? So what do they do? They tolerate this heresy. And they don't do anything about it. And so what's the end result? Well, the end result is this. You cannot go home and get on Google Flights and get a flight over to the Middle East and go to a church in Thyatira next week. You know why? Because that church in Thyatira is no longer there. Their laissez-faire attitude to sin led to their destruction. And that same attitude to sin in our lives and the church will destroy our faith and will destroy our church as well. That's why John Owen said, kill sin or it will be killing you. Sin killed the church of Thyatira because they were more willing to tolerate it than kill it. And sin will kill our faith if we're more willing to tolerate it than kill it. So we'll close with this. If you notice, each of the letters to the churches begins with the description of Jesus, a description that fits with their situation. And you notice how Jesus was described to a church in Thyatira. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. So Jesus has, hole, has eyes that can burn a hole in you, right? Eyes like fire, they, they can burn a hole in you. Then we see what it says in verse 23, and we're reminded that Jesus sees all, and he takes notice of everything. Nothing is hidden from Christ. We can hide things from each other. We can hide it from our spouses. We can hide it from our children. We can hide it from our community. But nothing can be hidden from Jesus. Nothing can be done in secret away from the one who has eyes like a flame of fire, who searches the minds and hearts of all people. Now Jesus introduces himself this way, describes himself in this way, so he can call them to repentance of sin. He can say to them, look, you may be able to clean up the outside, but I know the inside. And you need to repent of your sins. So he's telling them he knows all, he sees all, he knows all their minds and hearts. And the one who sees all, knows all, the one who has eyes like a flame of fire also says this, come to me, all who labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you know, as a Christian, if you know anything about unrepentant sin, you know how devastating it is to your life. So I just saw talking about being a, a physical burden. It physically affects us. And the best thing we can do is to bring it to the one whose way is easy, whose yoke is light, who is gentle and lowly, so he will give rest for us. So this one who knows all, who sees all, who searches my hearts, says to you, I will forgive you 
if you will just come to me. But refusal to do so will lead to judgment. If we do not repent of our sin, it will lead to the judgment of God. We find over and over in Scripture that God is serious about sin. God hates sin. And he treats it seriously. How do we know that? The cross of Jesus Christ. So we're called to hate sin. Treat it seriously as well. So Jesus ends this call, or ends this letter with a call to us as well to take sin seriously. Will we ever conquer it all? No, we won't. We'll always be sinners. We'll always need Jesus. But we should always take sin seriously. Because if we don't, it will kill us. If we don't take sin seriously as his people, as his church, we will end up being a mediocre church. We end up being like a mediocre Christian. And one day, this building may still be here. But we won't. And Bethel ARP won't be Because God will not abide in a mediocre church. He will not abide in a mediocre faith. So the call of repentance is for all of us to come to the one who is gentle and lowly in hearts so we can find rest for our souls. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this call. We thank you for this warning. May we give us ears to hear, minds to believe, and hearts to follow. Lord, wherever I am unrepentant of my sins, Convict me, wherever your people are, convict them. And help us not have a mediocre faith, but one that is always growing. And help us not have a mediocre church, but one that is always growing as well. So we may always be here for you and for your glory. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's now take this time in our worship to confess our faith together by using the Apostles' Creed. Then we will confess what we believe Scripture teaches us through our Westminster Shorter Catechism, question uh, number 50. We'll stand together now for our confessions. <laughs>